Hey, people, this is another Thursday. We are here at The Conversation. It's outspoken and opinionated. Of course, I am your host, Edwin Meyer. Like I said, we are celebrating Liberia. It's hashtag Liberia Takeover. So we are doing everything Liberia this um, this month. If you didn't recognize, I'm in a Liberian native t-shirt. It says Liberian native since 1847. This is a this is one of the products of my brother's clothing line called True Vision. I want you guys to reach out to Joseph Maya, JT Maya on every social media. Tell him you need to bring this t-shirt back. Okay, guys, do that for me. But anyway, um, this month is really focused on my beloved my country um everybody know i am from liberia i represent liberia all day 365 anywhere i go anything i do i make sure to reference my country and so this month i really reach out to some amazing liberians around the world to actually chip in and give us their understanding of what lib takeover is their understanding of what liberian excellence is and so um, if you guys have follow us on Instagram, yes, we are on Instagram is the conversation. I've spoken opinionated, but on Instagram is the conversation with a double N and an underscore on Facebook is the conversation. I've spoken and opinionated on YouTube is the conversation. I've spoken opinionated. We are on Spotify. So if you guys have not had the opportunity to go and listen to my beautiful voice, and that's the problem because I'm going to have some attitude up in here, but anyway, you know, it's liberal takeover so i'm gonna be nice but yeah we are on spotify so if you haven't taken out the opportunity go of course i gotta show the branding i got the cup i of course definitely have a drink in here i don't know what it is but leftovers from july 4th you know july 4th party that i had at the house so leftover alcohol i just put it in here in the mug but anyway back to what we're going to discuss today i have an amazing liberian author here today she's not only an author she's an echo feminist she a phd student at the university of manchester i hope i'm not wrong and she is just amazing um from Seton Hall. I mean, it's just like a lot of things going on. She has some amazing project that she's doing, um, some amazing things that she's going to share with us. But without further ado, I'm going to break the ice and bring in Chantel Victoria. Welcome to the conversation. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's good really to have you. Finally, you were here. <laughs> this is amazing. I tell people, I say, look, I have some amazing friends. And when I once I started this podcast, you guys would have known them, but I'm so happy that you're here. Um, I appreciate the fact that you all the way, you are from the other side of the world, but I think you're spending some time with us here in the States. Yes, I am. I am. Great, great, great. So we are, I appreciate that you took the opportunity to sit here and just talk with us. We are celebrating um, a library takeover, library excellence. And so who is Chantel Victoria? Well, thank you. Chantal Victoria is many things, but in short, um, I am a doctoral candidate at the University of Manchester, and my research is on water security, peace, fragility from an African eco-feminist perspective. And I'll explain what that means, but, um, and I'm also a children's book author. Uh, I am the author of the John Jay children's book series, which touches on a lot of environmental Exactly. That's it. I love it. It touches on a lot of um, environmental themes, but also touches on Liberian culture and um, values and friendship and family ties and all of those other themes are are running through the books as a book as well. Um, so I wrote my first book, John Jay, that you just showed um, in 2017 or published it. And then my my new book now is um, 
John Jay Goes Up River, uh, is the sequel to John yes. Um, so yeah, so it that that um uh launched on uh the 5th of June, and so yeah, um. So that's me in a nutshell. I've been, um, my, my first degree is in English and political science from Seton Hall University. And then I matriculated to the University of Pennsylvania where I got a master's in environmental management. Um, and now, as I said, I'm pursuing um, my PhD um, in the UK and I've been living in London for eight years now. So I'm actually, I'm a lot of things because I'm American, but I'm Liberian, but I'm also British. <laughs> as well so um but yeah it's it's uh yeah so those you know that's my home um yeah that's me and that's amazing and so you know with all this shutdown a lot of things is going on so how are you so you're based in the uk i you're am here with us in the states spending some time with family hi yep. mom hi dad hi <laughs> sis <laughs> i know you're spending some time with us in the states but how were you able to deal with quarantine in the uk with your family over here and you being over there? Well, it was a bit of a mix actually. So, you know, we were hit really, really hard in London and we were actually one of the slowest European countries to respond. Mm -hmm. So uh, from March of last year of 2020, maybe the second week in March, um, we had a serious lockdown. Like it wasn't from what I saw from what was happening in the States, it wasn't the same. Like we were not allowed to go outside more than once a day and only to and exercise. And so, you know, everything, every shop was closed down. Everything was closed down. Like the only thing that remained open were supermarkets and that was it. Um, even transportation at some point, they only started running uh, buses. So we were on a very, very strict lockdown. So I was working at the time, um, before I started my PhD last September, um, I was working in academia at another university, Kingston University. And um, so I was just like working from home. And at first I wasn't too bothered by it. When it first happened, I was like, oh yes, great, get to work from home. Cause like many other people, I thought it was gonna be like a three week thing, you know, like in a month's time, I would come, you know, go back into the office. But as we all know, <laughs> it spiraled really quickly. And so, yeah, so I stayed there until about May. And then I got really tired of being alone and my family being here. And it was just really messing with my mental health and everything. So I packed up my flat and came to the States for the summer. Um, and it was crazy because I was flying during like this was like in the in the in like the center of what everything yeah. was going on so like if anyone's ever flew through thrown uh through um london heathrow airport it was completely empty they were only using oh, wow. one terminal that all the shops were shut the only thing that they kept open was a boots which is a pharmacy mm -hmm. and it was insane and literally it we, the plane was empty um and you know just entering at that time people just didn't know what to do the protocols the protocols was ever changing so it was really it was really scary like you know not knowing the unknown and everything like that but i came home for the summer and like it was great to be with my parents and everything like that and yeah um and then i ended up like starting my phd in september most students so they decided not to have like in person obviously yeah. and so i started my phd during the pandemic and which is is really 
it's actually very challenging because a PhD is already a lonely process because you're the only person doing that particular topic and studying. So you kind of rely on other people in your cohort to like support you and just like give you a little bit of a break and just to balance out the academics of it. So yeah, so that was challenging. And then me trying to like, and I, at the time I was still in the States trying to like, you know, do my work on the kitchen table with my mom. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, be coming in the background, and it's like, mom, I'm in class. You know, it's like I understand. It was, it was, it was, it was interesting, but I also think that the positive with 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 the with the pandemic is one, I got to spend a lot of time with my family, which I hadn't exactly. been able to do in so long since moving to London. You know, eight years or whatever. It's like that was my first time spending as much time with my family. I also, as a student, you end up getting like more access to people because people are at home. So you could, I was easily able to like set up meetings and 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 have like remote conversations and attend conferences all over the world that I wouldn't have been able to attend because it's remote. So there were some positive positives in, in the pandemic, but you know, I'm glad we're like easing our way out. It's not easing our, well, in the UK at the moment, it's uh -huh. not, we're still, we're still, on lockdown, but it's not a strict lockdown. We were okay. supposed to get off June 21st, which was the start of summer, but Boris Johnson, our, our, our um, prime minister, like extended it until July 19th. And we don't know what that means. <laughs> you know, like, okay. we don't know what, what openness will look like because we mm -hmm. haven't had a full open experience, you know, but we'll see, you know, you just gotta take it one day at a time. <laughs> So yeah, and I think for me, like I normally say, I think being being in healthcare, it was easy for me, even though there were some healthcare workers and frontline workers who it wasn't easy for. But for me, I think because I had the opportunity to be one of the people who were working with the Ebola situation in Liberia, mm. it was really understandable. Mm -hmm. So I understood what lockdown meant. I mm -hmm. knew when they said quarantine, I knew exactly what was going to happen. Mm -hmm. So I people are running into the grocery stores and buy, getting tissue and stuff like that. I was passing by the tissue and all that stuff. I was I, I was getting perishable food. I right. was getting my alcohol because I know yeah. I would need it because my mental yeah. health was some kind of way and I need st stabilization. So right. I knew exactly, like, I wasn't running to the store to get gas. I'm like, why well, I'm getting gas? I ain't going nowhere. We're going to be home. So all those things for me, it made, it made my transition into quarantine easy. I had to transport my mom actually from Liberia to get her to the States in the okay. middle of the pandemic. When wow. I say in the middle, she was here in January. Wow. January 2nd, she landed at Dulles Airport. And when I say empty, the airport was empty. Yeah. And so for me, I agree with you. The quarantine really made me stop. Mm -hmm. I don't think we st I don't think we stop. We like go to work, come back home. Da, da, da. Like everybody's running and bustling, bustling. But it made me to stop. It made me to do a lot of things that I wasn't going to do outside of the podcast. I um, went back to school, getting a PhD in public health. Excellent. Yeah. You know all those things that I've been like, eh, I ain't ready to do that. Mm. Right. I started it, and so I think this, like you said, there was some. They're all good with, when it comes to the lockdown. They were good. I spent more time with my son. I got to understand my son in a different light. It was just, mm -hmm. I didn't realize that my son was so germaphobic until this whole thing happened. I'm like, dude. <laughs> like, he is extremely germaphobic. I'm like, oh, oh my God, this boy is going to drive me crazy. But I didn't know that until now. 
And so I really, I appreciated the quarantine and lockdown for certain things, but then I didn't like it because I'm an extrovert. I love to be out and have fun and go to brunch and hang out with my friends. I didn't get to do it. So that was sad for a little bit. But back to Liberia excellence. So when we say Liberian excellence, when, you, when we say, you know, LIB take over hashtag, you're a Liberian, what is your Liberian excellence? Wow, that is a big question. Um, it's a, well, I, I, first of all, I'm happy to kick off the LIB takeover. Um, the reason why July is very important is because July 26 is, uh, yes. It's the it's the birth of the oldest Africa's oldest oldest republic. So exactly. I'm happy about that. Um, excellence mean being a for me like Liberian excellence and what I what I try to achieve and when I'm trying to achieve excellence is basically putting my all into whichever endeavor that I go that I that I reach for. You know, like any initiatives that I'm doing, anything that has to do with you know advancing not just Liberia but Black women and um, um, marginalized communities, you know, those are things that I'm passionate about. So for me, excellence is excellence has a lot to do with like advancing um, other people, advancing, uh, moving the needle forward or, 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 um, or like, you know, contributing somehow to a cause that you're passionate about. So yeah, that's, uh, you know, for me, um, I like to believe that people think highly of me in that regard. Um, because I, I am very passionate about the things that I'm passionate about, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. you know, I'm passionate about Liberia, obviously the advancement, the development of my country. I'm passionate about like, uh, um, um, feminism and, and, and women and diversity and inclusion. Um, I'm, I'm passionate about like environmental issues. I'm, you know, I'm passionate about, um, you know, things that affect marginalized communities. I'll just say that, you know. And so, yeah, that's, that's, hope I answered my, your question. <laughs> and I like when you said, you no, know, for me, and I know that's what Liberian excellence for me is really taking, for me personally, it's taking Liberia to another level. But mm -hmm. in everything that I do, I have to be conscious about it when yeah. it comes to Liberia. I yeah. have to understand that I might have certain privilege that certain people in Liberia doesn't have. And so when I'm doing something, I need to realize to include those people who aren't privileged enough to have access to the things that I have access to. And so when I say LIB take over for me, it's like the entire Liberia. I think we need to, there are great things that can be done in Liberia. I think we have, God has blessed us to have the experience and have the opportunity to be in these uh, countries and do the things that we can do. And so we should be able to give back to our country, whatever yeah. way we can. And that is why I started this podcast to start these conversations, because I feel it's like um, in our community, there are some conversations that aren't being talked about. Yeah. Um, and if we don't start it now, like I said, I like your book because I can relate to it. When I read it to my son and we're talking about certain things, I'm like, oh, daddy, did you play that game? Did you do this? Did you do that? Did you talk? Did you carry water up on your head? I'm like, yes. You know, yeah. she didn't care. And she <laughs> had five people in the house serving her. She's like, you need to go do some stuff. So all that stuff for me is what it really is. And it leads us now into the book. I want to talk about John Jay. <laughs> First question is, because we have a mutual person with this name. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask, why John Jay? <laughs> so John Jay is fine. It's because my ethnic, my uh, part of my ethnicity is Basa. And yeah. so 
John Jay, to, to be honest, my maternal grandmother loved that name, John Jay. There's a lot of Jays in my family. There's Nijay, John Jay, Gajay, you know what I mean? And so um, my grandmother loved the name John Jay and she tried to like give the name to many of the, like the, like the, the grandkids that were coming on like after yeah. me. And I think she did actually name one of, one of our, um, our grand, uh, one of her grandchildren, uh, John Jay as well, but like cousins and things like that. So it's a family name, it's a Bassa name. And so, um, yeah, and if I'm, uh, the Bassa people don't kill me, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> that it means like, for God's sake, in God's name, or like everything in God's time. I think that's what it means. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, Bassa people don't come for me, but I'm pretty sure that's yeah, what it means. <laughs> this is just a conversation, people. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so John Jay, yeah, that's that's how the name came about. I, I had like various different, the character name, I, I, I didn't know I was gonna name the book John Jay. I wrote the book um, and then the, the main character name is John Jay. And I kept going back and forth about what it's gonna be. And I was like, let it be something very Liberian, you know, like, so that people can recognize our names, you know, in other, when you think about other like um, West African or African names or whatever, you you know, the Fonkes and the, yeah. you know, and the Kwamis and all that, that kind of stuff. Like, I want people to recognize John Jay as a Liberian name, you know, like, so. Yeah. Well, I, yes. So, okay. But so what was the inspiration behind this book? When you wrote this first book, what was the inspiration? Okay. So at the time I started penning that book um, on my way when I was living in London, well, living in London, going to work, I started like writing it on my, um, like typing it on my iPhone, like on my commute. And what I wanted to do is basically when I was a child, I, the books that I read really stuck with me. And I felt that there were less and less books that reflected um, not just Liberian culture, but like black, like black characters, you know? And so I, I wanted to contribute to that. If not many, um, well, in comparison in the publishing in industry, um, it's not as um, right now in this age, I would say because of the Black Lives Matter things, people um, publishing houses and other corporations are embracing more diversity in books. But uh, overall it's still, and even at even with these initiatives now, there aren't many diverse books. So one, I wanted to contribute to that. Two, I'm very passionate about water issues um, based on my experience in Liberia or whatever. So I wanted to um, be able to tell a story about that, be able to, to explain a, a quite um, a, a topic that is difficult to digest for children um, and make it in a fun way. In that, but at the same time, teaching them about global water issues, but also teaching them about Liberian culture and what that means. So and I, on one hand, it was like a love letter to Liberia, but in, a, in, but in the same token, it's also, it also used as a teaching tool and also to bring awareness to water, global water issues. So that was what it was encompassing. And at the time, I wasn't even considering doing a PhD. I mean, I think it like was in my mind, but you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So it wasn't, it's just that now that I am in my PhD now and my research further connects women, water and peace, it all ties in together and makes sense. So those were some of my reasons. And, I think also it was really important, like when you brought when you showed the the cover or whatever. I really wanted the 
the the photo as you can see to be of a of a brown skinned girl like someone who's wearing cornrows like these are this image is really important that for for young um, girls to see young black girls to see or, or brown girls you know just to be able to see that those characters in themselves and that was really important to me so all of that was like very strategic and around like um, uh, children's imagery and and what they and what they consume. I like that, but there was something you said that was extremely important. And I have had this conversation with an educator who currently mm -hmm. works in Liberia. He's mm -hmm. uh, in higher education. And I said, you know what? I never understood why when we were in Liberia, we had books that said A for Apple. <laughs> I lived in Monrovia. And so yeah. I, knew, I knew an apple. Yeah. If you take that back to a kid who lived in the remote village of Lofa County, Mm -hmm. Where the, somebody said they don't even see the Atlantic Ocean, and right. you tell him A for apple, he doesn't relate. Yeah, exactly. So I love when you said that you created something that is relatable that other brown skin, other Liberians, like I said, when my son read the book, when I read it to him, he was like, Oh, wow, daddy, yo, you're speaking Liberian English. There are a lot mm -hmm. of things in there that relate to Liberia. It gives me an example of my entire childhood. And so that's what I'm just going to dive in because. The only character that I love in this book, I would tell you, tell me, is the busybody busy neighbor. Oh, Mrs. Grimes. <laughs> Mrs. Grimes, that's my Mrs. home girl right there. Mrs. Grimes, so yes. Every Liberian neighborhood had Mrs. Oh, Grimes. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Everybody. And you get it right there. Mrs. Grimes sits on, the, on her porch. She gets up early in the morning. Yes. Mrs. Grimes sits on her porch. And she minds the entire neighborhood. And when your parents come home, she can tell every parent who did what and what happened. Exactly. So for me, was extremely relatable. I was like, wow, you really took the time to go into this. The names, like, everybody know what Bindu. Yes. Like, who, who ain't know what Bindu? <laughs> everybody, right now, I can give you like 10 Bindus of head. Right now. So yeah. I think the book is extremely amazing. And I like the fact that you focus on water and I just want us to talk about that because I think it's funny because one of my recent projects had been talking about worms and parasites and stuff like that. One of the things I was working on. Mm -hmm. And that's really important that that was highlighted in the book. And mm -hmm. I really want to understand what did you expect from a regular librarian child to get from that particular, from that area of the book where you talked about the water, she boiling the water and all that stuff. Well, that, in, so I would imagine that um, Liberians in, children Liberians in Liberia, they, that is their life. They are collecting water. They know, they understand at a very early age what contamination is without even knowing the word contamination. They know what that means. And so particularly for that, that, that was, mostly trying to explain to people who are not familiar with with um, collecting water and what it means to have clean water. So it was for a, more for an outside audience, but it also was, um, the, the book is very much also about disobedience. And yeah. so it's the lesson within that, why is it important that they're doing these things? Why is it that you have to do this? You know, a little bit of science into that as well. You know, so it was teaching audiences that um, are not familiar with clean water issues. It was also letting Liberian 
children who who are familiar with that lifestyle, um, why is it important that they're doing what they're doing? Because I mean, sometimes I'm sure that you think that you're doing things just chores, just for the sake of doing chores, but your parents are asking you to do these particular things for for a reason. So it's it's that, and also just explaining a whole the whole idea around public health a little bit. But in like I said, like it, this is a like a very big topic. And trying to explain that um, for children to understand it, that was a challenge for me. So, um, and I think you would know this. I, I tried to put a lot of humor in the book, yes. so that, you know, so that it can be, you know, like an easier story, like an easier way of telling the story. Um, so, yeah, that's in particular why I put that to, ex to explain the explain a little bit around. Um, yeah. And there was a lot of connection. When mm -hmm. I read it, the first time I read it by myself, then I read it to my son. But there was a lot of connection because the fact where the father normally goes away and the mom takes responsibility of the home. Mm -hmm. But when, like John Jay said, well, don't get it twisted because when you're not here, I'm the big girl around here. Yeah. And so that, again, for me, really highlights the importance of our mothers and our sisters and what they do because... There was a time where when I, uh, growing up, my sister took care of us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was us and my dad, and my mm -hmm. and it was funny, it was us and our dad, mm -hmm. but my sister went to the market, she made lunch, she did everything for us, she cooked for us, she helped us with our, make sure we did our homework and all that stuff, and she was not even older than my older brother, mm -hmm. but because she was the girl, that responsibility was turned onto her. So yeah. can we really have a little conversation about that? Why was yeah. that? I don't know if any people have pointed that out, but I'm like, why was that really highlighted in the book? I'm so pleased that you were able to pick up some of those nuances. That's really important. And it ties back to my PhD topic. We talked a little about like ecofeminism. So I'm further connecting water and women because of the relationship that women have to the domestic chores and their relationship with water because they're responsible for, um, for the cooking, the cleaning, the nutrition in the household, um, in many cases, <laughs> the, the finances in the household as well. Um, but just this nurturing, um, this nurturing aspect that women, I mean, we're na we naturally are nurturers, but also just the, re the role that you, that um, women end up taking, especially in Africa and in a Liberian home. You know, you're not, you're often raised by, not just by your nuclear family, you know, you have other aunts and, 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 and grandmothers and it's not uncommon in Liberia to have, to live, if you don't have a father in the home, to have um, an aunt, uh, you know, sisters, just like how you, how you were saying. So I wanted to also highlight that that was, a. am so impressed that you, that you picked that up, that like, even at a very early age, girls, women, um, or young girls, and they grow into, you know, when they grow into adult women, it's like, they have this, they bear this responsibility as being like the head, the head of the household, you know, um, and, and taking, and taking on those very big responsibilities. So yeah, that was, that was, um, that was very intentional. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I was like, okay, I see where she's going. And there was another one. Okay. That I picked up on. So normally in Liberia, boys don't play that food. <laughs> so when you said the boys were playing that food, I was like, that is gender equality. That's uh -huh. right there. She is making sure that when a young Liberian boy read this book, he understands that these are games that 
anybody can play. It's exactly. not strategic to one gender. Boys yeah. can play Nafo, and yeah. then they were playing kickball. In kickball. Exactly. The funny thing is, you didn't say kickball. You explained the game, yeah. but you didn't actually say what it was. Yes, so for yes. me, I was like, wow, this is good because when I read it to myself, yes. he was like, oh, daddy, that sound for him, it sounded like baseball. Oh, exactly. <laughs> I was like, well, it's not baseball, but it's a game that we're playing like, bro, what we kick. And yeah. so I think when I think reading this book for me it hit so many different avenues there was some it came it, it talked about gender it talked about water there was public health there was also regular health and then there was also respect yes because mrs grimes don't play don't play when she sat down on that chair and she pulled <laughs> her hands mrs grimes said uh-uh put your hands down little girl don't do that don't do that over here and that for me, I said, yeah, I know Mrs. Grimes. Yeah. So for me, I think there are so many avenues and so many things that you hit in this book that mm -hmm. for me, it was just said, wow, it really gave, it brought out the librarian excellence. And this, yeah. for, me is, yeah. this for me is LIB takeover. Oh, thank you. Oh, my God. Because so it, it gives everything about Liberia. It talks, yeah. talks about our culture, it talks about yeah. the food, cassava leaf. You yeah. talk about cassava leaf and white rice. Yes. You talk about so many things about mommy going to work and putting on that red lipstick. Mm -hmm. And people don't understand. Growing up, I didn't see any color, other color <laughs> lipstick. Mommy always had red lipstick. I always had the red lipstick. <laughs> always had red lipstick. So it was like really, really, um, it's really important that you really, you highlighted so many different cultures when it comes to Liberia, so many things that we do take for granted when it comes to Liberia. Like I said earlier, I remember um, we had people who would help out the house. My mom was like, no, you need to learn these things. So I had to go to the, I remember we had to go to a neighbor's uh, neighbor's house that had the hand pump and we had to get what I'm like. Why is this woman stressing me out like this? They have somebody in the house to draw this water. Why do I have to do this? Yeah. I have to learn that. So yeah. I remember my, me and my, I, I did exactly what John Jay did. Me and my friends would go play, uh, um, go to get water and guess we'll play this game called Boskiri. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, and we'll play Boskiri and I would be so dirty. One time I even stole my bucket. <laughs> Because I wasn't paying attention. And I had to come home and find a whole story to orchestrate. But of course, it cut me and whooped the daylight out of me. And I had to take a shower and go to bed. But this is what I believe Liberia Excellence is. This is what Liberia Takeover is. It's when you can dare to give people the understanding of who we are. When yeah. in a book that is published, they're broken Liberian English. Mm -hmm. And somebody can read it and be like, ah, they, da, da, and figure it out. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess that's the Liberian English. Yeah. And so for me, that was really, really amazing. But I want to go to the second book. Okay. So can we talk about the second book? Um, can you put the picture up? Because I don't have that one. Yeah, not yet. And let's talk about why Chanje is going upriver. I need to understand that because it sounds like she's going to a Congo settlement. So yes, yeah, John Jay is going upriver. It's it's interesting because um, if you remember from the first book, her that's where her grandmother lived, yes. and so she was just spending time with them for a few years, and now she's she's now going to go visit her grandmother upriver. While she goes up there, she meets an American uh, American girl who's visiting visiting or on holiday um, 
um, in Liberia. This girl is mixed. Her her father is Liberian and her and her mother is Black American. And so this is her first time coming to America, coming to Liberia. Um, and she's going and she and she lives. She's staying at her grandfather's house, who is near, who lived near Mon Gladys's house. And so they they form a friendship. And even though the the character, the American girl named Tanya, even though the, the the character is from the states. She and and John Jay have so much in common, and you know, and and that's the point. Like children will be children, like you know, and so through that, through their friendship, like um, Tanya learns a lot about like sanitation and water issues. Um, this book is not so. The first book was very much a PSA to to water, like if that's that's what it is. But in this book, it's it's mainly it, it touches on a lot of different themes, like friendship, family ties, and there is sanitation and water there. And there's like a specific scene around that, around sanitation, but it's not um, it's not centered in the plot like the first book is. And so, and so yeah, so this is, is basically, and what happens is um, John, uh, John Jay and Tanya's grandfather and grandmother get into a dispute and they don't want them to play together anymore. Cause you know, when, oh, no. oh yeah. We, yeah. They don't, we don't do that. Oh yeah, you know. Oh, yeah. If people don't know, yeah, we found it on. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Done. So, yep. Friendship over. So they want to have to end their friendship, but they weren't. They weren't willing to end their friendship just because oh. they were having a dispute. So and then the story unravels from that. Okay, um, so don't talk too much. People who yeah. are watching, you need to go to. It's on Amazon. It is on, it is on Amazon, but it's the ebook. What I ended up doing this time around, which is different from my first book, okay. I I um. At the moment, I want to be able. I cre- I started my own e-commerce, and so just to, uh, and so what I did was, I pulled. So it's available in the e-version on on Amazon, but I'm selling it directly from my site. So um, where, can I, where can we go? Right? Where can we go? If someone is watching, where can you go? Where can they go? Uh, www.chantalvictoria.com. Uh huh. Click on book. Yep, and right there you'll see how to purchase the books. Um, yeah, uh, and you can purchase signed copies, or you can, and I also have some apparel on there, some John Jay, um, yeah, some some uh, in, in, in pencils, exactly. Uh, a postcard, you can get a signed copy, you can get an unsigned copy, you can get a bundle, um, and the postcard will make more sense to you if you once you read the second book. Um, but yeah, uh, and I'm, I'm actually, you know, it's so difficult to write a second book because coming off of the success of the first one, right? So okay. you're like, oh, you know, you're like, oh, I want, you know, I want them to love it as much as they love the first one. I don't want to disappoint the audience that I've already built based on my first book. And so I, I took, I took a lot of time to read this and I actually, I, I love this book more than the first one. Um, Mm, I, really I, would, I would want to be the judge myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not just saying that. Like this, there are so many nuances in this book. I continue, so I couldn't put, you know, in the first book, like I, like you mentioned, there were so many things around like Liberian culture and what it's like to, and I wanted people, I wanted, I reimagined what Liberia was or is. Um, and so in this book, I continue that, you know, other other pieces of the culture that are, are uh, that's different. And so, yeah, uh, I really, yeah, I'm looking forward to you, to you reading it. Um, I'm going to yeah. order it, and I'm going to say this, and people who are watching, you go to ChantelVeture.com, 
Um, she has the books John Jay, and then she also has John Jay Goes Up River. But yes. don't you have it in another language? Oh yes, yes, I forgot to mention that. <laughs> For my Filipino people, right? Yeah. So exactly. So what happened was after I wrote the first book, um, I don't know how they found it, but the U.S. State Department found me, and they sent me an email and was like, uh, "We heard that you wrote a book on clean water issues, and we're looking." to see if it fits within our agenda. So would you mind sending the manuscript and let us have a look? So I sent them the manuscript. First, I thought it was a joke, right? Because it was yeah, like- I, I know, yeah, like, who's emailing me? Who is this? Even though I saw oh, the gov on the end, it was like, and yeah. it was coming from the, from the Paris embassy, the US mm -hmm. Paris embassy. I was just like, kind of sketchy. But anyway, I sent it through and they came back. They're like, we love it. We want to add this to our catalog and we want to buy the, the French translation rights from you. And so they did. And basically what, they, what they've what they done is they've, I'm not allowed to sell the French version, but okay. um, because I sold the French version translation rights to the US State Department. So they translate the book and they, and they sell it through a network of embassies all around the world. And that's for the French. Yes, only in French. Okay. Um, and so, so, and then they also use it for like um, initiatives um, in Francophone and French and other French-speaking countries as well. So, yeah. So Jean Jay is also translated in French. And funny enough, they contacted me again once they found it out about the sequel, and they were also in the works of signing. I'm pretty much signing the contract for them to do the translation rights for John. Okay, people, I don't tell you. <laughs> We're having some amazing people up in here. She don't sign a new contract with U.S. State Department trying to get. Okay, so for my, I do have French. I do have French followers. I have people who. So where can they go if they want to buy the book in the French version? So that's a little bit difficult. You will have to go. It's because it's um, only sold through the embassies network. You will have to like get it from a U.S. embassy in a francophone. Um, they have a they have like a bookstore. So if you went okay. to like the State Department website or whatever, they have a arm of that. So I'm I I can't sell it, but yeah. Awesome. So it has to be through a network of U.S. embassies. But that so. is great. That's I told you guys this is LIB excellence. We are taking over. I told you guys, but we're gonna change gear a little bit. Okay. Because you your book. There, we can spend like three hours talking about this book and people don't realize and someone's like, oh, it's just a small book. No, there's so much to learn from these books that once you get it and you read it and that's my thing, I read books over and over and over again and I get things from it. Every time I'm a huge reader, I got that from my mom. I think that's the best gift she ever gave me. Right. So just love reading. And so that's one thing I do. But mm -hmm. I want to sort of transition. So now, Miss Chantel Victoria, is getting her PhD, geography, yeah. researching water security, peace, and fragility in Liberia. Mm -hmm. right? What is ecofeminist? Because I was kind of confused. Because so, I'm a feminist. So yes. what is ecofeminist? So ecofeminism is basically an umbrella term that relates to um, all of the traditional feminist um, movements and other, the, the equality of the genders and things like that, but also focusing on the environment and how patriarchy and, um, and capitalism can also uh, be detrimental to the environment. And so we look at 
equal feminists look at um, issues surrounding, like, for example, environmental injustice, you know, for example, like in various parts of the world, but I'll use Camden, Camden, New Jersey, for example, you know, um, there's particular um, community, marginalized communities that are affected by environmental uh, um, degradation and pollution um, that are affecting a particular uh, demographic, usually black and brown people. So eco-feminists, they respond to that. Um, it's been, but you know, I, I like to call myself a Afri a Afro eco-feminist or African feminist okay. that deals with like, feminism because um, it's, like many like many forms of mainstream feminism, it has been um, accused of and rightfully of leaving out black contributions to the movements. And so um, it's always been this sort of like hierarchy and pecking order where like white women have to achieve these um, privileges first, followed by black, followed by like Latinx and that sort of thing. So, so yeah, so it's more, it's supposed to be, eco-feminism is supposed to be um, uh, intersectional and, and intersectional um, um, form of feminism, tackling all of these different issues as it relates to, to the to ecology, through nature and through feminism. And so, yeah, so that's what it is in a nutshell. <laughs> Amazing. And so, you know, um, so I was reading up on you, trying to get some information about you. And so you did have a project, you were awarded, you know, um, funding for mm -hmm. where you're responsible to provide Liberian girls, or I think it's like 800 Liberian girls. Yeah. Eco-friendly sanitation pads. Yes. And yeah. before I go into this, I want to say something. And so mm -hmm. as a black man, having the privilege of living in America, I was never exposed to the fact that there are women, there are girls in the world who don't have access to sanitation pad. I have my sister-in-law who runs an organization called Foundation for the Advancement of Girls in Liberia. Okay. She sent me a video about this girl explaining her life and really talking about how important it was for her to get a pad and an underwear. Mm -hmm. I broke down. Because I was, I never, that wasn't, you know, it's like you live your life, you're fine. Everybody, my sister was okay. She had no issues. The girls around me had no issues. So for me, that really broke my heart. Mm -hmm. And coming to you and you having to, I don't even know what to say. Let's talk about your project because I get emotional. Yeah. So basically at my university, University of Manchester, they have what we call a social responsibility fund that they have this money that students can apply for and for a specific project that they want to use. It's not a lot of money, but it, it the money goes a long way. So it's 2,500 pounds, which is roughly $3,500 US dollars. And so, um, and so I applied for it because I wanted to use the funding if I was awarded it for to uh, to address period poverty and period poverty is a real thing not just in Africa and Liberia it's I mean it's it's even in states as well you know like there there are there are girls here um, who who um, 
can't afford um, tampons and, and things of that nature. But it's a little bit more extreme in Africa and in Liberia in particular. So I applied for the fund. I was awarded the fund through the university. And I wanted to also, so there was a couple things I wanted to address. First, period poverty, you know, um, being able to give as many young women, school school kids, that's really what I was, um, I was uh, targeting school girls, an opportunity to not miss school just because they're on their period, which is a very normal thing. You yeah. know, girls are, are missing out on one week of uh, a school, I mean, one week of school every single month during their menstrual cycle, just because they, they cannot afford sanitation um, wipes and sanitation pads. And so it was important to me that um, it, I worked with um, a local organization in Liberia, the organization that I worked for is uh, Payless um, pads. Um, it's uh, founded by a, a really a, a, um, a young man named um, um, Augustine uh, Koo. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing his surname correctly. It's K O U Augustine, and he's he's awesome. So he has it's he has an uh, organization where they make eco-friendly pads, and so he's empowering um, women seamstress one because they're the ones who are doing the pads and then also contributing to, um, helping, uh, young girls have access to pads. So it's affordable. It's, um, it's sewn by, uh, uh, women seamstress. So job creations, Liberians. Um, and then, um, and so I worked with him and I was introduced to him through a friend of mine. Um, her name is Fenny Taylor and she has an organization called, um, your Monet health. And what she does is go around one of the things that she does, she does a lot of things, but one of the things that she does is go around to, to schools and um, teach boys and girls about sanitation and not shaming girls when they're on their periods and things like that. So I thought it was, well, she distributed the, 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 the pads, but along distributing the pads, she also provided a training with boys and girls around menstrual cycles. And so, um, so Pay Payless Powell was the one that supplied it and she was the one that administered it. So I worked with both of them. So Fenny and Augustine. Um, and basically, so I didn't want, because I'm an environmentalist, I didn't want to get like, I wanted them to be able to have enough pads that will last them for at least a year. And mm -hmm. also not also like, you know, we have a sanitation problem and also not contribute to, to you know, having more pads, you know, like, not being properly disposed of throughout Liberia. And also those, you know, I'm, I'm more of a natural person and those sorts sort of pads and things like that are not because of the chemicals and stuff are not really all that great for young girls and young bodies. And so, yeah, so each, so it's, so we supplied 800. So with the 2,500 pounds, we supplied 800, a little bit over 800 um, girls a pad for it because each one of the equal pads lasts for six months because they're reusable. Um, and so I, we, they were able to supply them um, for two, two boxes for a full year. So at least 800 girls have access to um, sanitation um, for, for a whole year. So wow. 2,500 pounds is not a lot of money. That's, you know, roughly $3,500, but it goes a long way. That's amazing. But can you really explain to us what an eco-friendly pad is? Sure. It is a pad that is made out of reusable material that can be washed. Okay. Um, and so it's um it's the women sew it with they use different patterns of lapa material to make it, you know, kind of nice and cute. Mm -hmm. Um but at the same time they have in it is microfibers um 
biodegradable microfibers that are inside of the pads and so that um, you can wash them and reuse them and also not you know contribute to like throwing away like disposable pads over and over again so it's equal friendly because it's good for the environment and also yeah. it's healthy for for um it's sustainable basically it's something that you can wash and reuse um and so yeah that's so the do. washing process is there a specific way they can wash it is there specific things that they can use since there's something that they're going to put against their body yeah mm -hmm. so that was part of what that was part of what Finney Finney explained to them Okay. And so um, that was part of the training about like how you can wash it. Um, it was washed just like any other um, um, clothing material. They use, um, you know, the this, this soap that they would normally use, likely not something that um, has a lot of perfumes in it and so forth. And but yeah, so they wash it just like any other clothing material, hang it up and can reuse it. In, and uh, it also has like a little packaging that's cute that they can put away in their in their wow. book bags and things like that. It's really, I mean, Payless Pal is creating jobs for um, um, women, Liberian women, and also supplying a very big need. And so, and then with Finney organization, your Monet Health, what she's doing is doing the education around sanitation and um, and um, and pads and periods and things like that and health. Um, she has a master's in public health as well, so. So I'm just going to say this, open it to everybody. You need them to send me Finney information. You I need sure to send me, um, what's the guy? Augustine. Augustine yes. information, because yes. I'm going to Liberia in December with an organization called Runway for Liberia. It's okay. all about fashion. We're going through the whole fashion spiel and all that stuff. But I'm okay. like, the conversation needs a project. And so this is going to be our project. I already talked to my foster sister. I'm like, there's something I'm going to do. But I yeah. want, it would be great to have all of them together because yeah. she has access to the girls. He has access to the past. Yeah. And, you know, the other girl has access to the education. Yeah. That's an amazing Christmas right there. Yeah, we I'm can sure. have a whole Christmas party and get these girls out. So I think, I and I say it, December, the conversation is going to supply a thousand girls. Yes, amazing. That is what we're going to do. Amazing. Yeah, I'm amazing. excited for this. And so um, we are at the end of the show. And I know you don't believe that it's almost over. Yes. <laughs> Chantel, you've been amazing. We really appreciate you. But I really want to, for a girl, brown skin like you, who's living her best life, what is the advice that you can give to a young girl coming up who's in Liberia and say, you know what, Chantel has the opportunity because she's in America and, or she's in the UK and so she can do what she want to do. What can you say to that young girl in Liberia who really can't see the opportunities on how she can be who she thinks she can be? Well, my advice to that young girl is Education is key. And I honestly believe if you if you have access to education, you your your opportunities are endless. And so even no matter what circumstances that you come from, or um, if you come from a poor background or anything like that, education is key to getting you out of that situation. Um, and that and, and and I mean I know it sounds a little bit cheesy, but I think that would be it. And also, just because you don't have the opportunity to like go abroad or anything like that, I want children 
to understand or a young girl like me to understand even in the space that you're in, you can create and be amazing and excellent in that space and advance your community. So that's really important. <laughs> so that would well, be my- You were great. This has been amazing. You Thank have you. given us so much information. Again, if you can just tell the people where they can follow you, okay. where, they, where they can purchase your products, that would be great. Okay. Um, first and foremost, my website where you can purchase books and other apparel. And I also blog. So it would be nice for you to go there. It's www.chantalvictoria.com, my name. Um, also, I'm on all social media platforms, Twitter, um, IG, uh, um, at Shani, C-H-A-N-N-I underscore V, uh, at Shani V. Um, and that, and you can find me like on social media as well. And tweet me and Facebook and all of those things. So yeah, thank you so much for having me, EJ. This is this really, really great. And I just want, I know that people want to have you back. So you need to, we, we're going to come back and we're going to have a whole thing. So I have a whole thing that we're going to do and we're going to do it with the, with Asatu and it's going to oh, be yeah. a whole thing. Yep, we're going to have a conversation. I'm going to have a conversation with all my amazing sisters. That's what I want to do. Excellent. I'm here for so it. We're going to do this. But yep. it's been great, guys. This was the conversation with outspoken opinionated with Chantel Victoria, the author, the ecofeminist, the geographer, <laughs> the amazing Liberian, the LIB ex excellence, the LIB takeover queen. So if you guys don't know, you need to get into it because you need to get either this or John Jay. Can you put John Jay go up river, please? Oh yes. John you Jay need to get these books. You need to go ahead and get it and read it to your kids. For us Liberians, your kids who haven't had the experience of going to Liberia, give them experience. This is what it's all about. So I say thank you for being here. I appreciate you. I say thank you for coming. And can you and just tell the people one special thing about Chantel Victoria? A special Before thing. Read, a special, like. A special thing that you did not say. What is it that Shant is like? You know, you can be like, you know, I like mimosas. I like to take shots. Like, what is it? Oh, <laughs> oh a random fact about me. Yes. Okay. A random fact about me is that I, gosh, I don't know. This is, um. okay. A random fact about me is that I like to run. <laughs> I'm she likes to run. And guys, yeah. guess what? The first time I met her, I'm going to put this out there. We were in Jamaica. Yeah. My name is EJ. Her cousin's name is NJ. EJ. So she was trying to call her cousin NJ. And I was like, yeah, what's up? And then we just started talking. Yeah. And yeah. that's how we grow the friendship. Yeah, exactly. Because I thought she was calling me. She was like, probably she didn't want to like, okay, let me just not leave this minute. Let me just have a conversation. <laughs> and that was it. But that was it. I think you're amazing. Say hi to mom and dad and sis. Everybody that. enjoy. And we will see you soon because we're going to bring you back. But uh, thank excellent. you for coming on the conversation. We appreciate you. appreciate the knowledge, the experience. And we are ready to help one Liberian girl at a time. Yep. Thank, thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, guys. I told you. The conversation. This is LIV Takeover. We had a great time with Chantel Victoria. Next week, we're going to be talking about Liberian music with Don Padmo. I told you guys, she is an opera singer, a Liberian opera singer, who is my cousin. 
Don Padmore, she sang the Liberian National Anthem at Ellen Johnson's first inauguration. And she's going to be here next week. So tune in. It's going to be great. <laughs>